Welcome to Disney Versus, where we like loud music and gyrating. <laughs> I did laugh at that. <laughs> I did too. This is the podcast where we have animated discussions about animated movies. I'm Tori. I'm Grace. I'm so very excited. From time to time, we have super legit people on the podcast. This next person is a certified boss. Graphic designer, illustrator, motion artist, and she has red hair. Very apt for this episode. We have Mandy Brasington. How are you? I'm good. I've never been described as a boss before, and I'm living. Yeah. <laughs> So glad you're here. Welcome to Disney Versus. I've been trying to get you on the podcast. You were one of the like one of the guests that I had in my head when we first started. Aww. It's just taken a while to get you here. So. Yeah, because I'm just like, God, who wants to hear my opinions? Only the <laughs> people I shout at on the street. So <laughs> <laughs> that's more than either of us. So you're you've got one up yeah. on us. Uh, today we are talking about Pixar's 25th animated feature, Turning Red. Dropped on Disney Plus at the beginning of March. It is now April. Happy Easter, everyone. And we are finally getting into it. Life has been crazy. Yeah. Before we get to that, uh, Grace, what you watching? Um, let's see. I finished the second scene of Love is Blind, which is um, great, terrible TV. Still? And, such an <laughs> and uh, the second season of Bridgerton, which was good, bad TV. Instead of bad, good TV. No. Bad, bad TV. Uh, anyway. Um, Bridgerton is good. Uh, the Dropout with Amanda Seyfried? Yes. Was great. And what else am I watching right now? I think there's something else, but it's I'm drawing a blank. Mandy, what you watching? Okay, so uh, I've been watching this show called Hell of a Boss. Uh <laughs> Uh, it's a little in, it's an independent animated uh, cartoon that's all through YouTube uh, supported via Patreon it is not at all oh, clean awesome. uh, <laughs> so sorry uh, but it is delightful it's about a weird work family in hell um, that uh, they're a bunch of little imps and um, a, uh, a hellhound and you can hire them to go kill people in the mortal world that screwed you over before you died and went to hell um yeah it's it's delightful the crew that does it um also made i don't know if you guys have heard of uh has been hotel it's it's getting ready to come out on hbo i think this year um and it was what the um what the creator made originally and then while they were pitching around that show and got it picked up by hbo and her in production they decided to make this one that takes place in the same world um mm-hmm. but completely independently so it's it's a really interesting project to have watched evolve um and they've had like they've got really really good solid animation some of the most dynamic fight scenes i have seen in a while oh mm-hmm. highly okay. highly recommend it if you don't mind uh you know hell (laughs) uh not appropriate for children okay like most of the episodes of our podcast (laughs) i figured it was good company yeah true true what about you tori Uh, i have been doing actually a lot of reading um keeping it on brand right (laughs) keeping it on brand i started reading the rest of 
the Twisted Tales books, which is basically mm-hmm. like Disney's what if in novel form. I like I like the concept more than anything. The ones that I I've the ones that I've read recently, it's uh, Once Upon a Dream, which is what if Sleeping Beauty didn't wake up? Mm-hmm. And I'm about to finish So This Is Love, which is uh, what if Cinderella never tried on the glass slipper? Okay. The hook is the what if, and then just kind of go along. Because I think most of the books that I've read, I've read, this is number five of 12 that I've read. It usually starts like in the, like the act, the act two turn or something, like during some big moment that you know, and then it goes somewhere else. And that's the, that's the story. Mm-hmm. So are these like full novelizations or are they short stories? They're full novels. Cool. I've read the the Aladdin one, I've read the Mulan one, and I've read I've read the Beauty and the Beast one. And they they come out pretty regularly. There's one for Princess and the Frog that's coming out in September, I think. That's kind of uh, tempting to to pick up because it's like, ooh, how do you take a story that you're coming in in your second act and where your beats are already established mm-hmm. and then turning that into a first act for uh-huh. something completely different? Some of them, like Aladdin, it's a completely different story. Like Aladdin is, it's more about Jasmine than it's about Aladdin because it takes Jasmine and turns her into like a revolution leader because Jafar gets the, spoilers, Jafar gets the lamp <laughs> and, and she like becomes the resistance for when Jafar takes over. So it's that, that one I think I like the most because of what they do with the whole story. Mm-hmm. The other non-book that I read was called uh, Magic for Liars. The best way I can describe it, it's kind of Jessica Jones meets Harry Potter because, like, a murder occurs and a private detective is brought... I'm sorry. A murder occurs at a school for magic. There we go. And a private detective who is not magic is brought in to solve said murder. I read that one. It's really good. Right? Yeah. That Grace, that really good. Quick. Grace, you should join this train. Read the book. Yeah, I'll get <laughs> on it. Um, I, yesterday, I went on a mini road trip with a friend, and we listened to almost about 80%, maybe 90% of um, The Woman in Cabin 12. No, in Cabin 10. The one from Cabin 10. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's Cabin 10. Uh, which is Agatha Christie-esque uh, mystery, and it's very good. So I think I'm moving kind of back into that that realm a little bit. But okay, I'll have to pick that up. As I've gotten older, I like I've started liking thrillers and mystery novels more now. So mm-hmm. it's about to be a whole thing. Oh, speaking of um of glass slippers, so I went when I was in Seattle last week. I went to the Mopop Museum, um, which is the modern pop culture museum in Seattle, and um, they did an exhibit on heroes and villains costuming from Disney. And it was it was smaller than I expected. It was like a special exhibit. Um, it was smaller than I ex- expected. I think they probably had about 50 different costumes. But the first room was the coolest. They had all the different Cinderella costumes from different versions of Cinderella. So like they had Brandy's, they had Anna Kendrick's, they had, um, I don't remember the actresses for the other couple, but there, I think there were four different Cinderella's. Um, and then they also showed uh, the glass slipper in development. So like the film version and then the sculpture version and then the glass 
slipper that was actually created by Swarovski. Um, and I'm thinking there's no way, no one can walk in that. It's not, it's how, very how steep. How tall is, yeah, how tall it's, is that heel? It's not, it's, I mean, like, it's tall. It's, it's maybe a four or five inch heel, but it's more that it's like a size five and the, the angle just isn't oh. tenable. Like, you, you know, a foot can't bend that way. And like, even if it any, can, any woman, <laughs> any woman who knows, who's walked in heels knows that that's not, that's not a very functional yeah. heel. It sounds so, like you'd need some of those sticky dots you put on your bathtub to not fall. <laughs> yeah. It's form only and absolutely no function. Yeah, pretty much. Um, it was very pretty, very sparkly. Well, it's glass, I would hope so. It's mm-hmm. fake glass. It doesn't sparkle at all. We got a little bit of news to talk about. We dropped the last episode right before Oscar time. So, of course, we have Oscars to talk about. Encanto won Best Animated Feature obviously. Only won that award, did not win Best Original Score, which went to Dune, and our Best Original Song, which went to that tramp, Billie Eilish, for uh, No um, Time to Die. Hey, you can't call her that. She wrote our our stuff for this movie. Uh, I can, I can call her a tramp for one thing and praise her for another. It's fine. You know what? All right. Um, okay. <laughs> I wanted Lynn to get his EGOT, his P-GOT, actually. Uh, and Grace, we are officially prophets because Cruella won for best costume design and we literally called it. Let's go. Yeah. I screamed at my TV. <laughs> I, I screamed at my TV. I was so happy. You would hope so. You would hope that it would be Cruella. I mean, there there were a lot of other period dramas that were nominated. So yeah. It would make sense if it was Cyrano that won uh-huh. also but i think cruella won for most costume design that's what it was no it was it i mean like everything that was created by the by the actual like design houses was great but also just it was set in what the 70s and everything like the store design and everything that was in the stores everything that's even just streetwear was great it did a good job of making it feel like a lot of times when I watch a movie that's dated in like the forties or fifties or sixties or seventies, like it feels like I'm watching a movie that's set in that time instead of actually feeling like I'm in that time. And I think Cruella did a really good job of feeling like this could be happening today. This could be happening in the world around me. This all looks like the world around me, except that the clothes are different. There's not like a sepia toned glaze to it. Does that make sense? I feel that. I liked it. I thought it was good. And deeper than just the design houses. I kind of want to watch it again, though. Maybe later. I need to finish Atlantis. I was rewatching Atlantis the other day and then stopped. How do you stop in the middle of movies like that? You've seen them a million times. Sometimes, like when I'm doing things like cleaning, I try to put on movies that I've seen a bunch of times. So if I've seen it like The Lion King or Aladdin, I've seen it literally probably a million times. So I don't need to sit down and watch it. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's it's so up here. Mm-hmm. But Atlantis, I haven't seen that many times. So And I don't watch it that often. So I wanted to sit down and watch Atlantis. And I wasn't in a position where I could do that. Mm-hmm. I'll give it that time in a second. The Grammys also happened. And Soul won Best Score Soundtrack for Visual Media, which I completely forgot about Soul. I thought award season was over for Soul. Yeah, me too. 
it's mad weird, but congrats all the same. It deserves it. Lastly, we have some sad news. We have to say goodbye to two wonderful, wonderfully distinct voices uh, from Disney animated movies. Estelle Harris passed away at the age of 93. Estelle was the voice of Mrs. Potato Head in the Toy Story franchise, starting in Toy Story 2 and going through... She had multiple appearances in the shorts and you know, Toy Story 3 and 4, and just, ah, oh, it was such a sad thing to see, but she was great. She was a very distinct and funny voice to add to that cast. Mm-hmm. And, ah, oh, and this, even just not long after, Gilbert Godfrey passed away at the age of 67. Uh, Gilbert Godfrey is the iconic voice of Iago, in the Aladdin franchise. He was in the movies, all of the direct-to-video sequels. I believe he was also in the video games as well, like Kingdom Hearts and, uh, I think, the Aladdin games. Anytime Iago had a vocal appearance, except for in the live-action one, when he was played by Alan Tudyk, it was Gilbert Godfrey. R.I.P. to both of them. They will be missed. When I was thinking about, um, Estelle Harris. I saw, I was thinking like there are so many voices from that cast that have passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, well, no, let's let's go one, two, and three. A lot of them are gone. Uh, mm-hmm. Slanky, Lotso, uh, Sarge passed away. Uh, that came up on my Facebook memories a couple days ago. He died, I think three years ago beginning of covid i think mm-hmm. yeah sad day y'all ready to talk about turning red heck yeah let's do it, it. we are going to take a quick trailer break and on the other side we are going to get to turning red let's go connection with red pandas. Are you kidding me? This little quirk brought us in our family. Oh. You're so cute. Sick. I've always wanted a tail. I'm a freak. We love you, May. You're our girl. <sighs> Whoa. You're you. Any strong emotion yes! will release the panda. Abby, hit me. I've been perfect little May May. But maybe I like this new me. <laughs> Mama's girls. <laughs> Stop! <laughs> it's gonna be me. 
gonna go ahead and drop a spoiler alert now, uh, so I don't forget because I usually forget and get halfway through initial thoughts and then remember. So spoiler alert right now. Turning Red is the feature debut of Domi Shi, director of the uh, 2018 short Bao, which won the Oscar for Best Animated Short. It's one of my favorite shorts ever. It was written by Julia Cho and Domi Shi. It stars Rosalie Chang as Mei Lin Lee, Sandra Oh as Ming Lee, Wei Ching Ho as Grandma Wu, and James Hong as Mr. Gao. The music was done by Ludwig Gorenson, who is famous for doing the music for Black Panther, with original songs by Billie Eilish and her brother Phineas O'Connell. This is also the first Pixar movie with a full female production lead team. Uh, the director, Domi Shi, story by Domi Shi, Julia Cho, and Sarah Stryker. Screenwriters were Domi Shi and Julia Cho. And the sole producer on the film is Lindsay Collins. Pixar's first full, first solo female directed movie and the first full female lead production team. It's pretty dope. It was the first female producer too, right? Uh, there have been female producers, but this is the first time that the only producer was a female. Okay. It's dope, but it's also their 25th film in, what, 30 yeah. years? Come yeah. on, guys. Right now, there is no box office because it was released directly to Disney+. Plus. But it does have a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes, a 7 out of 10 on IMDb, and an 83 on Metacritic. So, first impressions... What'd y'all think? I loved it. Oh my god. So many just feelings from childhood. I I very specifically went into the film blind. So when it was set in 2002, like I didn't catch it on my first read through. You know, I'm petting cats. I'm like zoning a little all over the place. Uh, thank you, ADD. Uh, (laughs) And uh, and then all of a sudden she's like, they're, they're having Tamagotchis. And I'm like, Oh, it's cute. You know, I know Target did that retro thing. You know, like I picked one up for my niece and then then they're handing burnt discs and I'm just like, oh, <laughs> right in the nostalgia. <laughs> did you say that it's set in 2002? Did yeah. I miss yeah. I yeah. missed yeah. that. At oh, the very beginning. In the, the New Year's um, photos oh. that they take where she's uh-huh. with her mom and it's super cute. Yeah, they have the, the year on there, but I just breezed through it the first time and the second the second time i was like i knew it i knew i wasn't crazy <laughs> uh-huh. i love the 2002 of it all like it it hit me right in the nostalgia because i'm like okay i am these kids age got it i i may not be a 13 i have may have never been a 13 year old girl but i was a teenager in 20 time. in 2002 so let's let's roll let's see what you got I feel like I greatly missed out because I missed that detail. Like, I think I have to go back and watch again from that point of view because I don't know that I connected that much. Like, I caught Tamagotchis, which I also thought was, like, that did stand out to me. I was like, huh, that's a little... But I thought it was, like, she's a cool kid just doing a retro thing. Yeah, the retro thing. But they also had flip phones. I miss flip phones. Let me get on my old person soapbox for a second. There is nothing more satisfying than hanging up on someone by flipping your phone closed. Oh my gosh, yes. Yes. Oh. I had a flip phone. And it's the it's the whole thing of like, 
you see who it is, and you leave it closed if you don't want to talk to them. Mm-hmm. And then there's the the full motion of flipping it, and just oh, you get to feel like a like a cool person doing a big action when you're just answering the phone. Right. Okay, but but were you a person who had it so that you just opened the phone and then it was it answered the call, or did you open the phone and press the button to answer the call? I don't remember. I, I think it was just flip and answer. So I remember feeling like a cool kid. Mine was flip and answer. Yeah. I think it was a setting that I could change. I might be making that up. I, I think you're right. It might have been a setting. Because yeah. I liked being, like, I liked clicking it. Oh, okay. yeah. That way it's like click. I also tried to go in as blind as possible because I was kind of, I was kind of meh on the whole thing because I didn't absorb any trailers besides, like, the first two. Um, but it took, like, the first time I watched it, I watched it with Alyssa, who couldn't be here today. And it, like, I enjoyed it. I liked it. I wasn't, like, you know, gushing or anything over it. It took a couple of more, a couple more watches for me to be like, oh, this is really funny. And Aww. it's super relatable, too, just, you know, despite the subject matter. It was really funny to me. And just the the animation style and the the choices that were being made with with the characters and you know their motions and everything and just how they acted towards each other was really funny and i think that's what made me like i i think we've talked before mandy and i have watched it i think four times each and that's what i'm like okay i'm gonna watch this again you know usually after the second or third time i got it i'm like yeah let, let me watch this a fourth time so i can chuckle at this facial expression again so the first time that I watched it, we get we get that scene where uh, Mei Ling is like hitting that, oh, I'm attracted to the shop market boy or just the idea of boys in general, which, you know, it's different from her attraction to Four Town. You know, you get that like shift that happens and we get her drawing and her drawing the abs and her drawing. He's just like, oh, his delts are pretty good. I was just like remembering viscerally that same moment i had i mean you know it was a little different as a as a gay lady but i remember the same moments of just like and then the fear and the hiding and the like can i even look at the thing i drew and just oh my god and when her mother found them i thought we entered a nightmare dream sequence (laughs) i was so uncomfortable i was crawling off the couch my partner is laughing at me as i'm trying to get away from the secondhand embarrassment (laughs) and like i'm like no this isn't happening she's clearly having some sort of like child like uh where you know she's making everything way bigger than it is and then the realization that her mother did that to her it's just yes. the whole thing is so cringe. Like, I, oh, oh, I feel so bad for you. Like, oh, it's like a, oh, it's, have you seen the movie Eighth Grade? Have y'all seen the movie no. Eighth Grade? No, dish. It's that scene, but an entire movie. I couldn't do it, Tori. I couldn't oh do gosh. it. It's no. it's directed by Bo Burnham. And oh. it's such a good movie. Like, no, it's, it's, a, it's a brief tangent. It's about a girl who, like, isn't popular and she's, like, really awkward and is trying to find her her thing in eighth grade and she goes through a lot of stuff that i'm not gonna spoil here but it's the first time where it's like oh oh i feel so 
oh, the cringe. It's, oh, I'm cringing for you. And it's just like a full body cringe. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my gosh. It, like, I would hate to be a teenager now because, like, she has a YouTube channel in the movie. <gasps> and it's like, ooh, I don't want to have a YouTube channel as an adult. Yeah. And yet it's you like, make a podcast. It's funny how That's that works. <laughs> they can't see my face. That's what it is. <laughs> And I have final cut, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, I yeah, the visceral like mortification was really well done. Um, I want honestly, Mandy, like I love your um, reliving of this more than I think I enjoyed the actual movie. <laughs> no, it was I so liked, I good. It. I did like it, but I don't. I didn't love it, and I wanted to like it a lot more. Um, but I, I do think, like, y'all have seen it several times, and I've only seen it once, and so I wonder if I watch it again, if I'll pick up more that I really enjoy. I remember in the first 10 minutes or so, feeling so cringy and, like, I don't know if I can be around this many 12-year-old girls for the whole movie. <laughs> 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 it was a lot. I really think they did such an incredible job capturing that 13-year-old energy mm-hmm. and the the, like, you're right the cringe of it all that is that that changing time and i there's something so magical about that moment in a in a human's life because you're just learning shame (laughs) (laughs) and there's a lot of it it's everywhere there's a lot of it and it's so delightful to watch the characters go back and forth from just so uh, unironically loving the things they love and engaging in their friendship and their fan culture and just in the enjoyment of it all and then the embarrassment that you see the learned embarrassment um that she's getting from her her family environment and that like yeah. that that shame and the implication with how like um disjointed it is between uh her mother really not knowing any of this aspect of herself, like tells us that this isn't a a new thing for the character, but I really think they did such a good job empathizing and um, just showing that like the, the young adult shame. Yeah. So you bringing that up makes me think like, I never had that sort of, um, I don't know that I know 13-year-olds or new 13-year-olds who had that sort of unbridled enthusiasm without shame. Or even, like, like it seems so innocent, but almost like an 8-year-old's enthusiasm instead, kind of bridled. Yeah, and... yeah I, I really I really loved that because she was confident in the thing. And I, I really loved the contrast that we got with the male character, Tyler, um, mm-hmm. who, who had so much social shame and mm-hmm. I mean we, we didn't get much of him and his parents but you really did I anyway felt like this this contrast where he didn't have that sort of shame-based relationship with his parents we saw them for such a, a, a brief moment but they seem incredibly supportive of uh of his life and then contrasted with his like role playing that he needs that he feels like he needs to do to hide the things he likes to fit in i assume into Mm -hmm. more gendered stereotypes but Mm -hmm. just like that that contrast between those characters i thought was really lovely and i loved the fact that he became part of the friend group 
Mm-hmm. It was yeah. so great. Nothing's yeah. better than a friend group story. It was slightly unrealistic given how, you know, how much of a jerk he was to them. Yes, but given absolutely. how they given how they were about being four townies, the fact that they accepted him instantly mm-hmm. at the concert and they were just like fangirling all together. Like, yeah, that that was cool too. It was really cute. Yeah. I want to get this out of the way because I think this is the only negative thing I really have to talk about. The the so-called controversy around this movie, how um, parents are like so offended and so uncomfortable about the themes of this movie, like the, the, the theme of puberty and growing up. And I'm just like, all I have to say is just chill out. Just let kids be kids because there are worse, there are worse things that like they gotta learn it anyway you know so the bit of uh the bit that i heard other than the racist backlash that happened but the bit that i heard that parents were having a problem with and it's really funny because my my mother came up to visit for easter and so i was like ooh, i want to get an older person's perspective on this movie let's sit down and watch it again uh (laughs) and Oh, it was so funny how uncomfortable it made her. But the thing that she kept sticking with from it was the the rebellion that May showed by like running off to the concert. And it was so funny how fixated she was on that, just bringing up that word rebellion over and over and over again. And it's just like, that seems to be the thing that makes people really uncomfortable. Oh, it's teaching our children to rebel. And it's like, well, you know, movies like have conflict right like like that's part of that narrative structure and if you watch the relationship that may has where she very specifically seeks out these approved forms to be able to engage with her thing you know we saw her whole little presentation with the sparklers and like um and then she is continually denied and not only denied but mocked for Mm -hmm. her interest for her excitement to the point that she can't even claim it as her own excitement despite how evident it is it's just like well why focus on this one this one idea that oh the kids are learning to rebel when really it's like well you're following this path of engagement and if the parent had engaged more appropriately with her daughters changing and growing if meng you know had had listened to her daughter and you know even if the concert isn't a good idea but been like well you know maybe we could set it up so we play the music here at the house and we have our own mini version of the concert you know just something to show that engagement you know it's like i don't know i found the parents fixation on this because after i watched the movie i did go and read and do some digging Mm -hmm. um but i don't know i just thought it was really funny because it's like this is not the only movie that features a, a, you know, a young person going out and rebelling. Little Mermaid is entirely that. And we don't talk about like, like, I can't think of a movie that doesn't feature a child running out and rebelling the thing. And going. And that's, yeah, yeah right. that's how, right. you know, it's how stories work. <laughs> like, that's all Tom Sawyer is. Yeah. Like, that's literally what Tom Sawyer is. Yeah. So I don't know. I Watch it was... any episodes of, of The Simpsons. Well, we don't try and live our lives based on The Simpsons, but uh, it does happen more than it should. <laughs> <laughs> we inadvertently live our lives like The Simpsons, whether yeah. they want us to or not. So the puberty conversation, I actually kind of think is warranted. I'm not, I don't know where I land on it, because what I'm thinking is that you would expect that this movie is 
approachable for a three to three and up or whatever. Like I would have no problem letting young kids watch this. But when you get to an 11 or 12 or 13 year old girl watching this, it forces a conversation that maybe isn't something that a parent has had to have before. Um, and honestly, when I watched it, I, I have a friend who has a 12 year old daughter and I messaged her and said, Hey, have you all watched this yet? You, you might want to have, uh, you might want to have Jacqueline handle this one. But I, that was my first thought was I remember that time in my life and the way that my family handled me starting my period was very celebratory and very like almost embarrassingly so but like very embracing this is a positive thing yeah it was great but it was also like a very public acknowledgement to my immediate community and so it wasn't weird at all for me to talk about periods or anything like that and I knew at a relatively young age but there were people around me that did not have that experience and had a much more sheltered experience. And um, so I could see that being, and I don't necessarily think there's a right or a wrong way, like raising your kids is is your business and when you want to have that conversation. But I do think that this forces that conversation sooner than, especially for that kind of 10 to 13 year old range, 10 to 12 year old range, really, um, that may not be, a warning would be nice, <laughs> I think. Do you feel like the conversations that the movie generated didn't function as that warning? Or because like my coming into the movie, I definitely thought it was entirely about having a period. And I was like, do I really want to watch a, you know, a whole movie about that? Mm -hmm. I guess so. And then was delightfully surprised when it was just more about. Yeah. And it's really only the first identity. uh It's really only the first 10 or 15 minutes that like directly ties it to starting your period. Yeah, because it's a throwaway joke to start off with. Like when she first turns yeah. into the panda, like that's the that's the contained portion. And then when like, it's actually because of this family genetic curse that we have. Yeah. All the, everything else, it's kind of uh, it's, metaphorical. Yeah. It's throw, it's throwaway, except that it stands enough that it's like, huh, what, do, what does that mean? Um, what are they talking about? Um, it's got enough screen time for that to be like a, I don't understand what's happening and that feels like something that I should understand. I really didn't feel like it was a throwaway at all. I had kind of two initial thoughts on it as I was going through um, the few times I watched the film. The first one being, oh my God, I really love, well, the first one being like, oh my God, I can't believe the mom walked into the bathroom. What an invasion of privacy. (laughs) But right after that, I was so pleased by how, the, how Ming approached her conversation with her daughter about it. I love that she had all the things for her, that she was ready to have this conversation in a very mm-hmm. um, not embarrassing way, you know, where she's talking about cleaning the petals of the flower or whatever. Oh, that's... But, the, yeah. So I, many I, metaphors. I wrote down this quote. I said, you must protect your delicate petals and clean them regularly. And I wrote that down and when I read it just now I was like what does that mean that's what it means I I love that because <laughs> I love it, it so took, hard oh whoa oh my god I thought it was I thought it was beautiful well beautiful okay I thought it was really great because it it didn't immediately engage in purity culture 
it direct mm-hmm. which i thought it was when she first started you know started the line and then by the time you know we finished that sentence it's oh it's literally about your health and i thought yeah. that was really great i thought it was a wonderful chance to model an uncomfortable conversation for a parent because yeah. honestly this movie to me really feels like it's it's geared at young yes. parents than it does at the kids i think that's one of the reasons that it's set when it is because it's it's for people who are our age who are now having kids we're gonna see our kids grow up like i think that really is it's serving a dual function because not only do we get mei ling's story of how she's handling handling the way her mother is reacting to the trauma she experienced but we get ming's story as well dealing with her mother so i don't know i I thought that this movie usually when i watch you know a a pixar movie or um well pixar is better about it but a children's movie it's it's a it's a dialogue with the child and then there are a few throwaway jokes for the adults which is a you know what it's supposed to be this movie felt like it was very specifically trying to talk to both people simultaneously Mm -hmm. or almost like this it was trying to talk to the same person on different timelines like you know the the person as child and the person as young parent or as new mm-hmm. parent not new parent but let me correct myself right quick i didn't mean it as a throwaway gag i mean the joking about you know the period and everything it was that moment and it wasn't like a running thing like they didn't keep oh. coming back yes. to it uh-huh. yeah i yeah good clarification yeah the other the other thing that i i thought was um really great about that that scene you know we had the mom we're modeling the conversation there but then um it also brings up this thing where this was this was a point in the discussion that i had with my mother where she was like you know that was something i noticed as a um, you know mother of three girls is that people would dismiss my kids frustrations over things as they were on their period and it's like so then she's like i really enjoyed this moment where we see the parent engaging in that behavior. My child Mm -hmm. is stressed out, not because of the ancient curse that's coming for the family, (laughs) because obviously our relationship is perfect. It can't be that. Uh, She can't be angry about things or whatever, or stressed. No, it's it's, it's her period. That's obviously it. It's just her hormones, you know? So I I don't know. I thought there was like some interesting things going on in there, but I was glad it wasn't a whole period movie. Yeah. I don't think my cringe could have taken it. I'm glad yeah. it was a. I'm glad it was subtext and not text. I yeah, say that yeah. a lot on the on the podcast. Speaking of the relationship between mother and child or parent and child, I have written in my notes a uh, comparison to one movie. At first, I thought this movie. I for, at first I thought this is just Encanto again, and in some ways it is. It kind of is. You know, uh, a child having to live up to parental you know expectations, and you know fighting with it to be who they are. But I think the more, uh, not the, the more modern thing that I was, and the more simple, like, storyline-wise that I came up with is, this is a goofy movie. Mm-hmm. The plot, this is a goofy movie. <laughs> it did have some good highlighting of food, too. Yes, know? absolutely. And rock band. Yeah, and the, the fact that the movie ends with, a calamity, Goofy's word, not mine, at, at a concert, I'm like, oh, this is a Goofy movie. A kid who gets, you know, embarrassed at school, uh, has a thing for a someone, a, a special someone, 
wants to go to a concert and can't, and has to lie to get to the concert. This is a goofy movie. For me, it did. It made me think about just how many movies in the last five years or so Disney and Pixar have released that are either touching on generational trauma or a diverse background or both at the same time. Um, So like it, I I get what you mean about feeling kind of Encanto-esque, but like you've got Encanto, you've got Moana, you've got um, Coco, Coco, you got Luca, Luca. um, I feel like I'm missing one or two. But yeah, it's it's all that kind of age group and family um, and non-American. And so, I mean, I, and this was American. Well, actually, it's Canadian. But yeah, so that's that's what it vibes like to me is I appreciate that it's tying into we're trying to bring culture into the movies that Disney's putting out. Yeah, I really got that, like, this movie feels like it's having a con- it, 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 the same conversation as specifically Encanto came to my mind to the point that uh, after we finished watching Turning Red uh, yesterday um, for the whatever time, I was like, oh, let's put on Encanto and see how these movies like go next to each other. And I almost went and did Inside Out, too. I was like, let's just do Ooh. the therapy movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Inside Out's up there, too. Mm-hmm. For the parents that are like, Disney's, you know, this is a movie about, you know, puberty. If if parents are paying attention, Disney is trying to tell parents, let your kids be who they are. Like, we get your mm-hmm. expectations, but like, pay attention to what your kid is trying to tell you. Pay attention to what your kid wants to be. And, you know, let them do it. Absolutely. Because all the movies that we've named, that's kind of a, a theme where a kid is like i'm curious about this thing or i want to do this thing this thing is my passion and the parent is like nope yeah. and the conflict the the conflict comes from not some you know big magical threat even though some of them have big magical threats it's the conflict between the kid and the parent and mm-hmm. the resolution is oh you gotta be who you are i really love the emphasis that that the movie specifically that we're talking about place on mess for a better word or for lack of a better word, just the, the messiness of emotions coming together, Mm. the untidiness of what your life is as you change and grow and accepting that as beautiful, especially with turning red, you know, like there's, there's a lot of monstrousness that's associated with womanhood, especially around becoming uh becoming a woman becoming an adult and you have these uh really unladylike emotions that you know historically mm-hmm. are transformed into this monstrousness you know it's where you get your witch mythos it's where you get all of these like parallels and anyway i thought that that was a really beautiful trend to see continuing mm-hmm. um and and just something that's like not like it's been absent from from films before, but I feel like it's really been um, stepped up in importance. It feels like something that the the artistic teams behind the films are like, this is a thing that we want to make sure that we have and that it is is very much an intrinsic part of the narrative. I think that's really lovely. Yeah. 
Um, I did want to uh, talk about the art in the movie at some point because I have my next thing on the list. <gasps> Yay, Tori, you're the best. <laughs> Can we just those backgrounds? Mm-hmm. Holy crap! And this is this is where that nostalgic vibe again. It gets it does a couple things. Just the soft pastel colors give it that like dreamlike childlike feel where it, it feels like a world adjacent to reality, very much like mm-hmm. what, what being a child is like. Um, but also the calls to Sailor Moon with the nineties animation, mm-hmm. just so be and using the, um, what is it in Toronto? Their little like pointy tower thing. Uh, the Sky Dome. Yeah, no, 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 not the, not the Sky Dome, the Pointy Tower. Yeah, Space Needle of Seattle. Yeah, um, you know what? I'm gonna go with my technical term of Pointy Tower. But it, you pointy know, it, tower. It calls, yeah, it, it calls directly to the visuals of the the Tokyo Tower in Sailor Moon. They had, I swear, they must have like lifted some of those exact color palettes to get that mm-hmm. feel, and it was just beautifully fit with all of the calls to like the the 90s animation style and all of the the manga influence that was in there it was so beautiful and funny if mm-hmm. you like grew up with it i don't know those are the the the, fa- the the things that i was like okay i gotta watch this again so i can see and i was talking to Alyssa about this when we finished watching it like the fact that it's so anime influenced because yeah. in you know western animation faces have gotten more and more like fluid in moving from emotion to emotion but this movie is hilarious because of that anime influence where it's like smash cut to each emotion (laughs) like everything's okay then boom oh my gosh like the zoom cuts to like emphasize oh my gosh these intense emotions or this intense duress that may is under yeah. It's so funny. And especially like if you watch her friends around her, especially Abby. Shout out to Janet when who was Abby when I was growing up. She was the just so intense just beat for beat was Abby. <laughs> oh yeah. The the low key psycho in your group that's the best one. She and- wasn't psycho, she was the one that was like, We gotta do this thing, let's go. <laughs> oh, I, I had a psycho Abby. <laughs> <laughs> Oh she was gosh. the best. She's the reason we did fun things. Mm-hmm. And just the way that they just cranked it all the way up. And in recent Pixar movies, starting with The Good Dinosaur and all the way through uh, Toy Story 4 and Luca, everything has gotten more and more realistic. And I like what you said, Mandy, about it kind of going through a child's eyes. I kept saying it looks more cartoony, but this it looks realistic, but it doesn't look... Yeah. Photorealistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, uh, so, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking, Tori, is I was thinking about uh, the fur. So, like, how far fur has come and, and thinking about, like, Monsters, Inc. and Sully. And then the red panda fur. Um, but it's still, like, it still feels like it's the animation style is kind of like Goofy Movie. And that color palette is kind of like Goofy Movie. And mm-hmm. so, like, that's masterfully done to be able to make it feel a little dated and and take us back 20 years (laughs) take us back 20 years (laughs) how dare you say that to me (laughs) 
So to take us back 20 years, but also to have all of the modern day technology that makes it so detailed. Um, oh my God. Really the color play that they did in Mei Ling's hair, where it uh-huh. is that, that bright orange, uh, re- that bright orange red into like the, the pinks, that magenta-y uh-huh. color, just the, I don't know. I thought it was really freaking impressive. <laughs> yeah. Very, very cool. The only thing that was that looked super realistic following uh, Domishi's resume is the food. And <gasps> did, did you guys catch the salaryman references? I you... did not. No. Okay, so I'm trying to remember the the <clears throat> name of this. Um, it's a, started out as a manga. I think it's been an anime, and it's currently a live action on Netflix. Um, but it's about this guy who takes this um, salary man position. I think it's below whatever his skill set is or whatever. And everyone's so impressed by him and his work. But he really does it. He takes it because the office is centrally located to all of the food he wants to try. And he gets to, tra- <laughs> yeah, and he gets to travel. So his whole goal is just to try all these different foods. And and it's great because they keep setting up like almost an office romance, but then it's just like, nah, he's really just here. <laughs> <laughs> but they do those shots where everything becomes um, becomes black in the background, like when mm-hmm. when the dad when Jing is cooking and uh, J- Jing Jin Jin Jin, thank Jin. you. And and everything becomes black and it becomes like these beautiful contrasts of color. And then in the in the Netflix one, it gets really weird because it's like removed from that animation that gives it kind of that like approachableness. And there's a part where he's like, I don't remember if he's eating some sort of ramen or if he's eating shaved ice, who knows? But they're like the actor is just standing there in a robe and he's like with his hands outstretched like he's Jesus looking up at the darkness that is surrounding him and then just water pours on him <laughs> as this religious experience of eating the shaved ice. <laughs> it's delightful and I busted out laughing when I saw that they did the thing. <laughs> that's what I that's how I felt when I had velvet taco yesterday. Y'all it was delicious. You know what? Food food is magical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I loved listening to it in the score. Uh, listening to the soundtrack, the most romantic music doesn't come when they're talking about Four Town. It's during that scene when Mr. Lee is cooking. Oh, mm-hmm. so good. So funny. And one of Alyssa's friends was right. Jen doesn't get enough good scenes. Like that fir- <laughs> that opening yeah. scene where he's cooking and his glasses are all fogged up and you think he's going to be a really you know, serious person. And he's like, Oh, my glasses are just fucked up. And he wipes them <laughs> off. And he's just this this whole doting dad. It, it, he was a great character that I really wanted more of. Yeah, he was such a refreshing take on, like, a dad's relationship in, in, in a husband's relationship. You mm-hmm. know, like, especially since we have this kind of stereotypical um, controlling... Uh, wife mother character in mm-hmm. ming and just the the kind of just joy that he brings and has and is like oh this isn't that like obnoxious trope of a man beaten down by a domineering wife he's a happy mm-hmm. dude like yeah. and i loved when he stole the tim horton's donut like, <laughs> <laughs> God, really i want to try tim horton so bad it's all right, but they don't call um they don't call donut holes donut holes. What they call timbits. Yeah, but so I was in Toronto um right after I graduated from college. I was there for a a convention that we were selling at, and 
I really just wanted donuts because I'm a Texas woman and I need my donuts. <laughs> and, and so I went there and I'm holding this very foreign feeling money. It is blue and the coins are dollars and trying to just get donut holes because I want to try all the flavors. <laughs> and the only way to do that is via donut hole. And and this guy, the, the guy at the register, I'm like, I'd like a donut hole. And he's like, ma'am, they all have holes. And he just could not understand what I was talking about. And I'm so tired because I have been up working this convention for three days after traveling, driving from Minneapolis all the way there, which is like you have to go down and around the Great Lakes. It's a stupid long drive. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't I couldn't make him understand. And my my partner, um, who we weren't together at the time, but she comes around and she's like, oh, she's American. She means those. <laughs> and points to the, but this guy was getting so mad at me. <laughs> and I was like, you're being very un-Canadian, sir. Give me my donuts. <laughs> anyway, so when you go, make sure you do call them. You, you knew it. Timbits. It's uh, important, apparently. Uh, it's only only because I've seen How I Met Your Mother enough times. It's the only reason. <laughs> it's the only reason. Thank you, Robin Chabotsky. Uh, I had I had one thing that I wanted to run by you guys because it 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 bugged me, but it did not bug my partner. So we need to know who's right because that's how you win relationships. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> judging. Yes. Um. So I really did not like how really did not that's strong words i loved the movie uh my issue that i had with this was at the end when we we've set up this kind of like bigness of like you need to make this life decision getting rid of your panda at 13 and then we so easily have the family which i thought was beautiful break and sacrifice to get to have to then be stuck with their panda. I thought that was lovely and fun because then you get your whole like magical girl uh, uh, Power Rangers like call out of, you know, you're transforming. But um, yeah, yeah, it was delightful. Um, But then just having them be able to get rid of it again, like I really felt took the stakes out of it for me because it's like, oh, well, if you if you can get rid of it, any red moon and we haven't established that red moons don't happen often. Like it, it would be weird because it's like, oh, there's one next month. And it's like, oh, no, a whole month. But a month isn't that long. Right. And I mean, it feels like forever as a kid. But, you know, a, a month isn't that long. So if it's like you can do this every month or even, you know, every year, it's like, well, there's no big sacrifice there. And then for, for the family to do that to save Ming. Mm-hmm. And then I also thought it that ability to be able to live without it. Uh, or to get rid of it again, just really muddled the metaphor about it being about emotions. Mm-hmm. And if it's if it's you're suppressing your anger and you're not dealing with it, then it comes out and it's even bigger and it's explosive. And that's what we see with Ming, which I cried every single time I watched that movie with her in the bamboo forest. Mm-hmm. Oh, so beautifully done. But if you can then just get, get rid, rid of, of it. The, um, yeah. And I... I'm I'm a little conflicted, although I landed on the side if I wanted them to have to keep their panda and have to learn how to live with it, if it's the metaphor for your emotions and your emotions are both powerful uh, in a good way and in a bad, like that, again, going back to that messiness of life that, that Mei Ling embraces. But it's like, if, um, 
if they just can then get rid of it again where where is that stakes but i thought it would have been really beautiful to then for them to have to learn and have you know even if ming or if mei ling as she's functioning like she does with her mother when she's picking ming up as it you know as her youth and kind of walking her through the forest Mm -hmm. it almost feels like that metaphor of the child introducing the mother to therapy you know Mm -hmm. of like like going through i thought that was really beautiful of like look i figured this out let me guide you because trauma really does stick you in place. Even if you yeah. grow and change and develop in other ways, when you don't deal with a problem, it, it traps you in that. And and they mm-hmm. illustrated that beautifully in that scene. And I, I really did feel like just getting rid of it uh, undercut that. Now, my partner, her argument is that for her, it held a lot of power because it is, well, these people then did continue to reject and suppress their emotions um, and when you go through this, it, it really highlight for her highlighted the difference between um, someone choosing to go and grow and then not being able to not being able to bring people along with you. They have to choose it themselves. And if they're not going to. So I don't mm-hmm. I don't know, like it, I get both ways, but I still feel like like it undercut the tension, the importance of the red moon of doing the ritual and of having to make this once in a lifetime decision. If you can just do it again next month, it's not a big deal. She can just have the panda until, you know, she grows out of the phase or, you know, uh-huh. whatever. I call it a plot hole. <laughs> Her mom says, we have one chance. It's like, wait uh-huh. a minute. If you only have one chance to get rid of the panda, mm-hmm. once all the all, once all once grandma and all the aunties and Ming break their bracelets or whatever, mm-hmm. they're stuck with their panda. Right, which I loved because that was like, oh crap, that's like that's what you do for family. You mm-hmm. make those big sacrifices. Yeah. And then it was just immediately undercut. Yeah, I, I agree with I agree with the undercutting of it. Good. So we right. we don't know what kind of trauma any of the rest of the family went through to tame their their panda or if there was trauma. So I think it'd be right almost more like to force that it's not it wouldn't be a balanced sacrifice to give that up for the youngest like they're still adults with plenty of time in their life um and should be able to live it in the way and i think like that's the message to me is choose your own adventure like you you get it's important to give our kids um the same choices that we should be afforded that we want in our lives so that's that's a message to me and like i like the tie to emotions i think that's accurate but it i don't think it's like a tight mirror so i don't think it has to fit really neatly yeah i see i i really see that that perspective and that's kind of where like as someone who writes and structures narratives it's like oh okay i go i go back and forth on it Mm -hmm. um where it's like yes it is that that i don't know it's serving two purposes but in serving one of them it kind of undercuts the other yeah that's that's my only like conflict point in the whole movie where I'm just like, mm, how do I feel? I don't know. <laughs> I do think you're totally right about the the timeline thing is just a plot hole that like wasn't well edited. Um, like that yeah. could have easily been avoided by just changing the mom's line at the beginning or earlier when it said you only get this one shot. Um, yeah, you only get yeah. one shot a month or one shot a year yeah. or we yeah. can only do it when the moon is red or I also there was one other part that was a little a little odd in that same thing where I was like okay so to to get rid of your panda you have to walk through the mirror portal mm-hmm. and you go through it and then that's how you get back and then it's like well she didn't choose to go back so does she just hang out forever in the bamboo That was forest? my question. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> 
And I was like, we're I mean, just, I'm not bad about it. The bamboo now? forest is pretty, yeah. <laughs> but there's no four town in this bamboo <laughs> forest. <laughs> That's a segue if I ever thought of one. Uh, let's talk about the music in this in this movie. And I think the best place to start is the four town of it all. Oh, love it. I'm a, I'm a fan. At I want to know point, about both errands. <laughs> at some point, uh, someone calls them glittery delinquents. And I've just that decided that's, that's, that's the name of my, my new pop band is glittery delinquents. Oh my God. That's, that's, you're the, welcome to join the mantra that I live my life by. Please let me. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> that needs a logo. My, someone get on that. <laughs> my favorite thing, my favorite thing was, uh, I, I said it like, wait a minute, they're called four town, but there's five of them. And then the mom <laughs> said it and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not crazy. Yes. I loved watching this with uh, with Alyssa because she is younger than me and didn't grow up in the heyday of NSYNC. boy bands and girl bands. We get to the end concert and I had like a whole nostalgia trip because she's like, why are they in cages? And without missing a beat, I said, because... They're starting a tour, and it's the early 2000s, and they're a boy band. The production <laughs> the production value for this tour is through the roof right now. Like, yeah. Do you remember watching NSYNC on the Disney Channel? Absolutely. Oh, do you guys remember the NSYNC, was it NSYNC or Backstreet Boys, that the CD came with, like, a Burger King meal or something? No. Like, you got- <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's a thing because I got the Britney Spears one and was mad about it. Oh my gosh. Uh, this whole thing, it, it, it screams, it, it, it's so on point. And it's so cute. Because it, well, it, it relates back to like the resurgence, in the, or not resurgence, but the big um, push we're seeing with like K-pop now in an American audience okay. as well. That it's like calling right all back to that. It's like, are they in, yeah. why are they in cages? Because it's fabulous. Do it more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just the, yeah. and I've, I've watched so many, um, like I grew up, me and my sister grew up in the, we all grew up in the age of, you know, boy bands and girl bands and pop. So like looking back on that stuff now, like I've, I've, watch so many documentaries about you know the building of those boy bands and why why were there five of them why did they dress the way they did you know and marketing exactly it's marketing (laughs) why are there five of them so you have a someone there's someone in the band for everyone that's why there's five of them like i love that ludwig Göransson is the was the composer on this because i watched a documentary on netflix called this is pop I recommend it to everyone. The episode where they're talking about the the Swedish uh, studio that wrote a lot of the 90s hits, like Baby One More Time, most of Backstreet Boys' European debut, some NSYNC songs. You can Google these guys, or you can look these guys up on Wikipedia. They are the reason that, you know, they were the ones that wrote these hits. And Ludwig Göransson... Like, he is direct lineage of that studio. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, that's really cool that mm-hmm. he is involved in this. Even though, I mean, Billie Eilish wrote the music, but he, I'm sure he had, you know, a hand in it also. Or it's just a good, you know, parallel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read that he was instrumental in, like, making sure it matched up with the beat of the um, the Cantonese uh, chant song. That oh, they yeah, were yeah. doing for all of that, so that the, when the two come together, they mesh well. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. um, that was so much fun. 
like the blending of the thing. And then when the when when Four Town comes out on top of all the rubble to sing and help save the family. Yes. <laughs> that is a nineties music video if I ever thought of it. Oh Just, my god, yeah. Or sorry, early two thousands. Because same thing. We're we're mm. talking about the same thing. Mm-hmm. and it's oh, it's just so funny and Aaron what is it Aaron T and Aaron Z and I was like so it's Mel B and Mel C but dudes <laughs> I so, love and they're talented too because <laughs> there's always like one or two or three of them that everybody loves and then there's the other two that mm-hmm. are also there someone loves them and one of them was Tyler so yeah I, I loved all of it one of my favorite gags was at the beginning when they were checking out Devin, the kid at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. And, the Daisy Mart. <laughs> sorry, the Daisy Mart. There we go. And May was like, we know what real men look like. <laughs> and, and she shows the Four Town magazine. Oh, and the light. <laughs> <laughs> it's all so dramatic. But they were realistic. They're like, but Four Town tickets are very expensive. And Devin's here. And for free. <laughs> and for free. Yep. Oh my gosh. Oh. And just that that line between like this is the celebrity crush and this is the realistic hot person that's here now. Mm-hmm. Realistic I, I the 17-year-old in the bucket hat. Mm-hmm. Uh I Okay, so like bringing in uh oh also Devin, I don't know if you guys saw, but he is at the Four Town concert. Yeah, yeah he yeah, he's in the front row, and I, I, I from a, a narrative point, I was like, yes, because we need to see him at the end. We saw him at the beginning, we have to see him at the end. Thank you. <laughs> uh, but I really, I thought that, um, I loved the fact that we didn't have a romance interest in this, this, this mm-hmm. movie. Kudos. But the fact that, like, uh, oh, who was it? the little goth kid, the little punk with the eyeliner, and he, like, throws his hair. and mm-hmm. um, Yeah, I loved that, that. I thought that that Having her go from Four Town, Devin, that guy, Four Town, like really captured that like innocence of kid crush. Uh-huh. That was so cute. Like, oh, I just I love these characters. I want to give them all hugs <laughs> and <laughs> pat them on the heads and be their weird aunt. <laughs> Why would you draw those things? Those stupid sexy, sexy things. things. <laughs> Oh, you know, and as someone who did that and whose sister found them, mm, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> like I said, the cringe moment, I was literally crawling off the couch. I could not handle it. Like the moment where she's staring at her mom like, don't look at the drawings, don't look at the drawings, looks down at the drawings and looks back up at her mom. Number one, how many moms would follow the eyes to look at the thing when oh, it's every, that fast? Absolutely. Every, every one single one. Every single one, Tori. Okay. oh my gosh no i could feel the tension in that moment and it was oh my god and the the production value of just the lighting like oh my goodness masterful one thing that i will uh the the conflict between may uh, May and her friends all the times that she just kind of folded when Uh brought against conflict with her mom it i that, those were the moments that broke me. They pause, they hold on that tense moment for a minute, and it's every time she just folds. Mm-hmm. Especially at Tyler's party when she sells her friends out. Yeah. Oh, man. This was all your idea. We didn't want to do this at all. Yeah. 
That was rough. That was, I think that was probably the most emotional, like, no, no, really? Really? Like, that was the most gut-wrenching part for me. I remember, like, those friends that I was that close with, and even my friends now, like, no, of course I wouldn't sell them out. No, are you kidding me? Like, I'd much rather take the fall, but so for her to do that, and for it to be so different than how she is at school, um, to have her home life and her personality at home be very doting and deferential to at school she's this badass and super confident and knows exactly hold on hold on can we put badass in quotes there please (laughs) (laughs) she's she's a nerd (laughs) yes she's She's a a geek absolutely (laughs) she's a geek at school and the best like i i don't care about what anyone thinks kind of way like yes so we can only inspire to have that little give a damn what other people think that's true and her uh her flute solo she was rocking in that room i don't know crap about music but that seemed legit the look on the band director's face says this happens often we just let it happen (laughs) she has these spells headcanon joe gardner from soul meets may and Uh teaches her like jazz flute (laughs) She's she turns into Lizzo except with less twerking or with more twerking because of the panda part. <laughs> I, I would say an equal amount of twerking. Yeah. yeah, they're just not at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> I'd watch that sequel. New thing that I want to do with the show is one cool shot that I take from all these movies that we talk about. The one cool shot from this movie that I saw was when they leave Tyler's party. Like they're driving, May's in the car, and all you see is the reflection of the streetlights. It kind of looks, it kind of reminds me of like driving through Tokyo. Like uh-huh. in movies, when you're driving through Tokyo, you just see the lights. And it's probably the most realistic. We talk about photorealism. That's probably the most photorealistic shot I saw that didn't have food in it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I, I love this shot. There's some mm-hmm. scenes that I look at and it's just so striking. So mm-hmm. that's my one cool shot for this episode. Mm-hmm. Do we think this is a, I mean, it's very early and the Oscars literally just happened. Is this a contender for best animated feature? Yeah, but it's going to go up against Lightyear. And Across the Spider-Verse. And Part one. I don't know anything about how they grade. Uh, The award show stuff, I'm just like, woo, right over my head. So I'm just like, I don't know. It made me laugh and it was really good and I cried. (laughs) I think it'll get nominated. I think it'll get nominated. I don't think it'll win. My negative comment, um, and I think part of why this didn't capture me the same way, is I thought the pacing was a little bit off. Like, they're, especially in the middle, it gets a little slow, and I want it to move, and then it feels like the end is all, like, a lot's happening very quickly. And I think I would enjoy it. I don't know. I need to give it another shot. I think this would be a really interesting movie to, like, pull up, like, Save the Cat and, like, chart it on. What is Save the Cat? Please explain Save the Cat. Sure. So Save the Cat is a um, it's a book, but it uh, it's basically a theory of um, of screenwriting for movies. Um, it's been adapted to Save the Cat for the novel and blah 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 blah. But it's basically the beats that your story for a screenplay started out mm-hmm. should should in quotes hit um usually by about the time or the percentage within the script of when they're gonna hit and it's all framed around saving this cat and it's the idea is that it it's the understructure that runs throughout 
most successful films and it's just like this is that satisfying story beat it's Mm -hmm. uh the idea of like the three-act structure but broken out into more specific events um that are a lot easier to then hang a story on when you need Mm -hmm. to create them quickly and for uh a lot of writers you know you can go back after you've written your draft and like you can either write it with this structure in mind or you can go back and like see how your story is hitting these points that are generally pleasing to an audience it's kind of a way to um not bulletproof proof a story but like provide a a structural like underpinning to make sure that you're hitting kind of what your three-act structure in a satisfying way and Mm -hmm. like so you don't end up with things that feel like a rushed middle or a rushed end and it's really fun because it gets really granular like down Mm -hmm. to like sections like the fun in games which is you know the the promise of the premise so for the 13 year old stuff it would be their montage of them doing their panda hustle yeah, and like panda. yeah I, and it's 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 very very that would you agree that hustling like the whole scene of them hustling the panda up to the betray the betrayal of her friends i feel is the end of act two maybe i would really have to plot it out I'm trying to think, like, what happens immediately after that. The ritual. No. No, because uh, they, the ritual doesn't happen until... Uh, the ritual happens right after... No, 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 like the, he, the, yeah, he's he right on that. that. I was more okay. of thinking about the act two portion. To me, it would be, so in the Save the Cat, it would be what would be called the darkest hour. Um, so it's the moment when, um, when, every, when the story is at its worst and the hero is at their when, lowest. When all is lost. Yeah, it, it's that function. We get the rejection, and then she goes and gets her friends. And then we have our climactic battle, which actually is all pretty beep, beep for mm-hmm. beep what Save the Cat is, right down to going and getting your friends. <laughs> it's gathering resources. <laughs> I might pick up that book because I, I love like looking at stuff like that. I have uh, the seven basic plots that I have yet to finish. Uh, Ooh, I'll yeah. have to check that one out. I haven't read that one. It's, it's a tome. It's like two and a half harry potter books thick yeah but which which arc which side of the series yeah (laughs) (laughs) fair it's um books one two and three all in one that's how thick Mm. it is okay i could deal with that i have a little bit of trivia love it hit us with the trivia awful at trivia the no no no, not not like game but oh okay 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 so we were ready (laughs) yeah sorry (laughs) A lunar eclipse actually occurred on May 26, 2002, during the time of the movie. Oh, cute! That's fun. There was also a, a total lunar eclipse on May 25th, 2021. Mm-hmm. That would have been that would have been the best time to release the movie. Just saying. I wonder if yeah. there were plans to, and then it didn't because COVID. Yeah, fair. Yeah. The number four, they keep saying, is unlucky. That is because it sounds similar to the word for death in both Cantonese and Mandarin Chinese. They have the same, uh, the same in Japanese and quite a few, uh, few languages around the world. Four is considered one of the universal unlucky numbers because of that. Maybe that's why there are also four people in a boy band. In, sorry, five people in a boy band instead of four. Oh, so it appeals to a broader market. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then why would you just call it Five Town? Because Four Town is better. <laughs> But I think it's definitely a play on O-Town. Oh, that's cool. Which was a boy band with five people. I didn't put that together. I just thought it was there to yeah. be funny about the number four. And also that. That's cool. May has a backpack that says bag sport. 
it's a parody of Jansport. That's good. I definitely had a Jansport bag when I was in middle school. I still have a Jansport bag. School. Oh, they're they're great backpacks. Yeah, yes, my my now um is great because it's it has a ton of pockets, but it's thin. And originally, mm-hmm. I bought it in like gray, and it had teal detailing. And I was like, no, I'm definitely gonna order this in black too. So I have an all black Jansport that's like that, but it looks like I could take it to work, and it would be totally fine. <laughs> that's beautiful. I love I, it. <laughs> Uh, last piece of trivia. The two panda statues are named Bart and Lisa after Bart and Lisa Simpson. Nice. Aw, cute. I was about to say the two children from The Simpsons, but there are three of them. Oh yeah, Maggie's a thing. Always have to ask this question whenever a new Pixar movie comes out. With this being number 25, where does Turning Red rank for y'all amongst Pixar films? Do I have a pick? Is there a place where I've ranked all the Pixar films before? You ask me every time. No, I literally every time, every single time. I pro- we should we should do a mini we should do a mini sode because there have been so many that have come out where we're just like let's do our ranking again just in case just so we're clear. But I feel like it's in a tab somewhere. It's definitely in a tab. Okay. Where does it rank? So I'm pulling up my list of chronological order. I think it's below Monsters. Monsters and Finding Nemo are still like really high up there for me. I think it's above Cars, above Incredibles 2, but below Incredibles 1, above Onward, wherever that is. I'm guessing it's somewhere around like low teens. I think for me it's kind of in the same place because it's very funny. It's one Mm. of the funnier pixar movies because of like i said for the facial expressions and just the character relationships uh it's definitely i would say pixar's most mature movie because of the subject matter maybe mm-hmm. i i would say uh inside out would challenge that yeah yeah but i think this is more direct like inside out if you're missing the really heavy moments then it's going over your head for this if you're missing the sensitive moments then it is like a bigger plot point well and i feel like as far as like therapy movies go i really feel like this one was really successful because it narrowed down what it was talking about inside out was attempting to have such a big conversation that it when i watched it it definitely felt like a tool that a therapist would want developed Mm. to have conversations in therapy with young people Mm -hmm. or any or anyone doing peace work Mm-hmm. Um, whereas like this one turning red feels like a way to have that conversation, but one that still feels like a, a, a good, strong story, mm-hmm. you know, like I didn't feel like I was a little bit in school. I think it's, it's definitely on par with, you know, soul and Coco and Luca and, uh, inside out in the, Hey, let's sit down with, you know, my kids and I don't have kids. Let's sit down with the kids and, you know, have a conversation afterwards. I feel like in that category, Soul takes it all the way because mm-hmm. there's so many ideas going on in Soul. And then probably Inside Out. And then maybe I think Turning Red. And I, I appreciate these thought movies that Pixar has come out with lately that just makes you think. I appreciate them, but I kind of want. I want something new. I think this has been an era, and maybe it's like the therapy era. 
But like what I loved about some of the early movies, like Monsters Inc., like um, Cars, um, and Cars is even even in my my top movies. But um, like Finding Nemo, is you're taking you're creating world building that's not humanoid for the most part and like that's where i think you get some really interesting storytelling and this is it's been very cerebral for the last few years but i think it's time for a little bit of a change of pace especially feel that especially now that disney has demonstrated that it can be cerebral on its own right without it being through pixar you mean with encanto yeah i feel like Turning Red has been the most successful of those types of movies in trying to do something different. Mm-hmm. Maybe not, di- but just like reaching more. Um, this was, you know, a big conversation in the house. Like, I feel like it was the most successful of the the therapy movies because it still feels like a movie. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like it's still, it, it had its world building. It had... Um, the fact that the the panda got known at the end and that we're raising money to rebuild yeah. the sky dome yeah. and just how big the tail was anyway um but yeah i i agree it really feels like we're doing a lot of the same narratives yeah. uh over and over again and i don't mind that i i actually think there's something really fun about that because then you get to see the dialogue they start to have with each other but yeah some new stuff would be would be good thinking about it this kind of has a similar ending to luca where some big thing happens and everybody becomes aware of there are monsters or pandas or sea monsters and everyone's okay with it and the world goes on but i i really think i i think that light year will definitely break it up a little bit it'll still be a kind of a I've, i've only seen one trailer for light year because i'm going away from looking at trailers obsessively but from what I can tell, it looks like it'll be simpler. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean it looks like it it kind it could adhere more to being a traditionalish action movie, something what we kind of haven't gotten since Onward and Incredibles two, mm-hmm. which seemed like so long ago. Thanks, COVID. <laughs> well, Incredibles two was that long ago. But yeah, Onward yeah. wasn't that long. Yeah. Onward came out like at the beginning of the pandemic. Speaking of like movie endings and tying, especially this is another movie that really is talking about family and leaning hard into like trauma that comes from family and also how to move past that and how to to heal. And so the the mom's line at the end and like it bugs me a little bit because we went from don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Oh my gosh, I'm so mad that you did this to reflect on my own trauma to like, okay, now I'm completely accepting of everything. And that feels a little unrealistic. Yeah, there's definitely like a, a sheen of optimism at the end of the movie. But what I did appreciate, the mom says, the further you go, the prouder I'll be. Um, and that resonates with like, that's a great, what a great message to end on. That doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be far. She's literally still working at the temple, but she's doing something very different for herself and and hopefully that'll take her to do new and interesting things. And, and, mm-hmm. That is our review of 
turning red. I was about to say that's our review of Encanto, but we did it already. <laughs> that was our review of Turning Red. I already did one cool shot. Grace, what do you have for Drunk Disney? Drunk Disney. Um, drink every time. Okay, so Victoria added, drink every time someone says panda. Definitely drink any time there's a transformation. Oh. Which gives you that good moment at the end, which is For the, just a waterfall. Yeah, but it's the it's the mind, the seagull moment from Finding Nemo. Like, it's great. It's and then anytime for a song starts. Yeah, we could definitely do drinking for every song on this one. Yeah. Every time someone starts singing one of the songs. Yeah. Mandy, thank you so much for being here. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Y'all are so fun. Yeah. And this time I get to yell back instead of just <laughs> hearing y'all talk. I don't think That's you told Tori you was wrong nearly enough, so we'll have to have you back for sure. I'll work on that. <laughs> okay. Plug your stuff. What do you got? Uh, I'm working on a secret project that I can't talk about yet. So. So what, if, what about the stuff that's finished? Uh, eh, it's whatever. It's really lame. Um, you can find me on MandyBrasington.com, I think is my stuff. Um, Mandy with an IE. Uh, but mostly I just make comics and small zines. Um, yeah, I usually go to conventions and stuff, so you can usually find me there, but who knows with COVID. So, but yeah, I try and make it down to Texas uh, as often as I can. Um, do whatever's going on in there. A lot of little cons in Galveston are fun. Um, yeah, I guess instead I'm just going to plug the idea of plants. Just love plants. Yes. Just stuff doing their thing, you know, like growing, making roots, putting off leaves. Hashtag plants. Yeah, loving dirt. Yeah, touch some dirt. I looked at some plants today uh, at Home Depot. Ooh. Uh, I think I'm going to do wildflowers and sunflowers. I'll do wildflowers in my front beds and then sunflowers along my back. Um, That's beautiful. Yeah. And and also not planned. not super intentional with where the flowers grow. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about plants. Yeah. They just do their thing, yeah. you know? You can follow Disney Versus on Facebook at facebook.com slash Disney Versus. You can follow us on Twitter at Disney VS. And you can follow us on Instagram at Disney Versus Podcast. When Boston we posted something on Twitter? I'm not on Twitter. <laughs> on t- when uh, Gilbert Godfrey died. Okay. Oh, go post something else so there's some happy stuff. Yeah, I will. I, I will. I'm going to have to do another cookbook challenge to figure it out. I don't know. I have the drinks book. I could I could start making all the drinks. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Please give us a five-star review if you do that and drop us a comment. We will read it during the show. Uh Last time I checked, there was nothing there. I like that he says that we're gonna read it, but we—that's only happened once. I mean, there's, there's not. I'll do it. Through. I'm gonna do it, and I'm gonna make you read something real stupid. Tori, the forever optimist. I'm a man of my word. If it's a, <laughs> as long as it's a five star review and a comment, I will read it. All right, now I just gotta go figure out how to do that. I'm a troglodyte. <laughs> I'll be waiting. <laughs> Thank you for listening, as always, and we will see y'all next episode. Bye. Bye.